This is a Texas Poets Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Soros. Each month we interview a well-known Texas poet to learn about the writing of poetry, the poetic landscape of Texas, and a poem written by another Texas poet. Today's program features Thea Temple. Thea is a published poet and writer who received her MFA from Indiana University, where she won a scholarship to study with the late Andre Debus, who became not only a strong influence on her prose, but also her friend. Thea served on university creative writing faculties in Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky before joining the National Endowment for the Arts Literature Program in 1991. This experience introduced her to the world of arts administration and the impact of literary centers on local communities. While with the NEA, she traveled to the annual conference for the Association of Writers and Writing Programs, AWP, to discuss funding opportunities and special projects with their board of directors. There she met her husband, the late Jack Myers, who was on the board. After she and Jack moved to Dallas, they co-founded the Writers Garrett, a nonprofit literary center, in 1994. Over the last 22 years, she has shepherded the Garrett's growth from a local writers group to a nationally recognized literary center, which has directly served over 1.8 million readers and writers since its inception. Thea Temple has also served as treasurer of AWP, organized and facilitated literary task forces for the Southern Arts Federation, developed statewide partnerships in Texas to encourage collaborative programming, and served on literary commissions, panels, and task forces locally, regionally, and nationally. In 2008, she was recognized by the Texas chapter of the American Association of University Women as one of 101 Texas Women of Distinction. Hello, Women of Distinction, Thea Temple. (laughs) Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good today. Thea, each month we invite our guest poet to share a poem by another Texas poet. You just happen to have chosen Jack Myers, and you chose two poems, not one. Tell us the titles of those poems, please, and give us some background to Jack's life. Okay, well, the poems are called Desert is the Memory of Water, which is actually, uh, there's an epigraph that's attributing it to writer Jim Cornfield who wrote an article called Living History in Continental. And then the other is Cirrus. And Jack um, Jack and I met at AWP, as mentioned, and he was had at that point probably about 11 books. He, is, he went on to uh, be the author or the anthologizer of uh, 17 books of and about poetry and became uh, the 2004 uh, Texas Poet Laureate, and he was a full professor at SMU. Well, let's start with Desert is the Memory of Water. Would you like to give us any words of introduction to help our listeners make sense of the poem? Yes. Um, I just wanted to say that um, there's there's two things. One, that Jack shared Hemingway's penchant for um, seeing how setting shapes character and experience and spirituality, and he saw experience and spirituality as destinations as well and journeys. Uh, this, these two book, I mean, these two poems in particular were written after he discovered he had terminal cancer and um, was coming to grips with his final destination. And um, I, I find these to, this whole topic to be something that um, people spend a lot of time trying to um, ignore or deny and one of the things I love about Jack's poetry is how he just dives right into it. So um, anyway, this is, this is Desert is the Memory of Water. 
Let's listen now as Thea Temple reads Jack Meyer's Desert is the Memory of Water. After I am gone and the ache begins to cease and the slow erosion I felt being older than you invades you too. You'll come to see that an image of the desert is the memory of water, like remembering when you were walking in beautiful Barcelona and you said you thought trees were gods because they were rooted in earth and flew in the air and magically made food out of light and made the air we breathe. I was stunned how you could open up a god space just like that, like when my two-year-old dug holes in the yard and fit his face into each of them to see, as he explained, if he could find where the darkness came from. Then you asked me why I never prayed. I believe whatever disappears or survives or comes into being is a prayer that's already been answered and that we feel alone because we won't let go of what is gone or changed or hasn't happened yet. Waking this morning with my arms around you, the dogs snoring and a morning dove cooing, I felt I awoke in a peaceable kingdom where the fear of death turned inside out into a love for life. If I prayed, I'd pray for that for you. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us briefly what intrigued you about this poem and why you selected it for us today. Well, aside from the obvious that it speaks very well of me in the poem, <laughs> it's, um, it's familial and it's very lyrical and it um, conjures up, you know, I mean, I, I love the beauty of just walking in Barcelona and, um, again, the, the whole concepts of place, you know, the, the idea of um, desert not being an absence of water but a memory of water. I think that's um, – a pretty incredible um, viewpoint and kind of how all memory works. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, we hold on to certain memories and certain ideas because they, they uh, hydrate us in a sense. They, Mm -hmm. they keep us going. So desert is, is a concept that doesn't exist in and of itself. It exists as um, an entity and an experience that's lacking something else. Except it's full of memory. Yes. Desert is the memory of, of water. Yes. So can we flesh out this, this um, metaphor a bit and compare it to old age? Is old age um, a kind of desert that is enriched with memories of the high points in one's life? I, I do think so. Okay. All right. Can you talk about how the two examples that he offers – uh, um, it, it's just it's interesting to me how a poem like this, a, a fairly concise poem, can capture um, a broad idea by very specific, almost eccentric examples, as opposed to you know a more general um, prose-like exposition of the mm-hmm, idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure exactly what you're saying, but. But, but I can say that, that um, Jack was very quirky in the way his brain took turns automatically, associatively. Fortunately, Yes. I mean, it, it wasn't like he sat there and thought, okay, how can I make this as unique as possible? His brain just does that autom- or uh-huh. did that automatically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he was very associative. So 
he would start off with these sort of narratives, you know, like walking in Barcelona. And those concrete realities or memories would instantly associate with another memory or some thought or need. And to to jump from Barcelona to his Mm -hmm. two-year-old, putting his face into the the holes to try to find where darkness came from – you, it, it's taking both sides of the spiritual, you know, questing of you know the the of gods and earth and uh, pantheism and all that into also um, looking you know that even a child is searching for answers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it brings you full cycle and yes, age too. Yeah, yeah. The, these two examples capture a whole spectrum or invite the reader to to imagine that entire spectrum mm-hmm. that he's thinking of, but he only needs to give two examples. Right. And the reader can fill in the rest. I th- think there's an interesting um, combination here of hanging on and letting go, hanging on to memories mm-hmm. for the sustenance mm-hmm. that they can provide, uh, but letting go the way a wise person understands he must. Yes, and there's a, a if you do there's the the book this is in is called Memory of Water taken from the poem and there is another poem in there where it's talking again it's a, I'm one of the stars of the poem where it's talking about <laughs> me packing and that you know how how many things I put into a suitcase but he himself has learned to uh, just put what he's going to need into a thin valise because he's he's nearing the end of his journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk about the afterlife. He says openly that he's not a praying man. But he comes up with a very interesting way of talking about um, life without prayer. He treats life as if the things that happen are the answer to a prayer. Yes. That's very clever. Mm-hmm. His his mind was um, twisted in a wonderful way. <laughs> Don't we hope that for all poets? I think we hope that for all of us. You know, if if I prayed, I'd pray for that for you. <laughs> so shall I read Cirrus? Yes, let's move on to Cirrus. Is there anything we need to know uh, ahead of, of your reading? Um, no, I think that the closest thing to it would be that um, Cirrus is a cloud, uh, a type of cloud, and that it is treated also as a destination and a place here, not just a thing. So, Cirrus, I'd like to leave an imprint on the world lighter than I'd formerly meant. Just a scent, not the thud of the thing steaming on a plate. Instead of, I told you so, let my epitaph be the glance, the edge, the mist, the delicately attenuated swirl of an innuendo instead of the thunderhead. The rain that fell when I was ambitious seemed conspiringly rushed in my way. But the same rain today tastes of here and now because of where it's been. I'd like to be gentle with small great things. They are larger than what we think we came here for. I'd like to be an eye of light that opens the air and burns beyond ambition like the sun that can't see us and is beyond our human reach, yet is in us trillions of times over. Thank you, Thea. Lineation is interesting here, uh, especially at the beginning. These are very short lines, Mm -hmm. 
quite appropriate for a man who's trying to talk about modesty and wispiness, <laughs> right? Not the thud. Right. You can't thud with short lines like this, can you? Um, you could if you did a really long line and then suddenly went to a short line. <laughs> okay. That would that would be sort of a, yeah. my, my idea of a thud. That would be a steak th- thudding on a plate. Yes, exactly. But he's not doing that. All right, so um, the fourth stanza, <clears throat> this poem gets a little more complicated and dense as it evolves, as mm-hmm. it unfolds. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the light that opens the air? I know that he was fascinated with physics and loved to use the ideas of science as metaphors that he would explore and look in poetry. And I do know that the – I'm not sure exactly what the eye of light is except that it allows us to see and, it, you know, it's coming from the sun, something that's outside of ourselves, and yet it's not outside of ourselves because as people who are familiar with the way physics works, exploding stars, we are made of stars. Oh, I get it now. Right. Oh, uh, that's what he's doing in the last couple lines then. Yes, yes. He's, he's saying that the sun, maybe not this exact sun, although it's also spitting stuff out that went on to our planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are also saying that, you know, that parts of – they're not sure if if the earth was created by, you know, uh, matter that was already in the area that either came together or went away or if it was belched from – our sun, yes, but all the heavy metals, for instance, everything that's on, that we're made out of, the iron in our body, that we, have, you know, every kind, you know, every kind of metal is in our system. Um, potassium, all of that came from stars. So he wants to be like an exploding star. Yeah, and in a sense, so so his his ambition's not entirely <laughs> reduced. <laughs> it's a grand thought, but he does say beyond ambition, right? Um, you know, he just would like to have an influence, but not an egotistical one. I think he just wants to be able to, um, you know, I mean, if if you were to distill the polars of good and evil down to the most basic biology, one would look at the good as light and evil as darkness. I mean, that's what, you know, your most primitive amoeboid or, um, you know, paramecium, it was moving towards the light. They didn't have eyes per se, but they sensed it. And so I think that the goal of the poet is to bring people to the light. And even if you're a dark, cynical poet, then you're bringing people aware of that darkness. So there really is no way to avoid illuminating another person's mind if you're writing poetry. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, well, Thea, at this point in our program, we usually invite our guest poet to share one of his or her own poems. You actually chose a poem by Ron Moore. Instead, tell us the title of the poem, please, and give us some background on Ron Moore. Okay, the poem is called The Transom and the Door, ALS 4. After he was on our board for a little while, um, he contacted ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And um, I had been feeding him all along Jack's poems. He, he didn't know Jack's work that well, but had always heard about Jack. And he just inhaled every book. I, that I, it, I, I gave him a bunch and he bought them. And then, of course, once he got ALS, he 
became very um, absorbed with Jack's processing of his own death through uh, the memory of water. And um, I think just as any of us, if we binge watch or binge read anything, some of it sticks with you. And whether it was deliberate or not deliberate, the poem I'm about to read, I think, shares some similarities in metaphor with Cirrus especially. But I think that there was a natural affinity for the way they both liked to do somewhat confessional uh, poetry. They both were attracted to scientific metaphor, and they both were seeking humility and gratitude and saw their own irony of um, conflicting ambitions. Mm -hmm. So that's – oh, and and i got to mention – Ron also was awarded an honorary doctorate of letters by this very university, TCU. So, All right. Well, let's uh, listen to Thea Temple reading The Transom in the Door by Ron Moore. Being that strange interlude in time, I am a gnat in a silent universe. But I have a name and can spell the ugliness and beauty surrounding me. Not the stab of the heart's malfunction. Not the noxious spread of metastic cells. A lessening. An erasing of the cords now climbing up the trellis of my bones. I am the rain that fell, not the cloud, which, like my body, after use, is disappearing. Where my legs refuse to take me, memory will to see the haze of years through the transom of time. Of all things, there is beginning and an end. Ours alone it is to paint inside the frame, in love with the world's radiance, fading now, neuron by neuron, light by dying light. So I embrace this last gift of days in quiet conversation with eternity. A farewell not made in fear or anger, but in gratitude. It's final flickering. Thank you, Theo. What a wonderful poem. I like the way you picked a poem by Ron Moore that dialogues with the emphasis in Jack's poems on living the good life. In line with Jack's outlook, Ron emphasizes gratitude and appreciation of life's radiance, like Jack's Cirrus. He names what should not be the focus of the good life. But unlike Jack's poems, he seems to look forward to some idea of an afterlife, ending his poem with an admittedly ambiguous reference to being in quiet conversation with eternity. Does that work for you? Um, I, It does. It does. Well, we'll have to leave it at that for now. Thea, apart from Jack Myers and Ron Moore, is there one other Texas poet you happen to be reading right now that you'd like to recommend? Well, I can say there's a lot of wonderful Texas poets. Um, some of them I've named, um, you know, former poet laureate uh, Carla K. Morton, uh, Alan Berkelbach. Uh, I, I love Cyrus Cassells. But I'll tell you, one of my very, very favorite poems of all time um, was written by a dear friend of Jack and mine. That's Naomi Shiab Nye. And the poem, just so you all know, is called Kindness. And uh, the writer's Garrett actually posts it on our website. So it's... Um, it's pretty lovely. Well, we'd love to have Naomi Shihab Nye on our show. I can understand why. Well, Thea Temple, it's been a pleasure visiting with you today. I look forward to reading more of the 
Poetry by these two men you have presented to us, Ron Moore and Jack Myers. For listeners who want to read more of their poetry, what books would you recommend by them? Well, um, I like I said, I think uh, The Memory of Water I highly recommend and there's an, for Jack. And there's another one that's his, it's called The Glowing River. It's um, New and Selected Poems. Um, that one you kind of do a it's like a, a greatest hits with some new stuff in it. Um, with Ron, Ron's got really two books. One's called Alack. What, 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 what I call it? I wrote it down. It's, it's I can never say it right. I start. I always say alacrity, and it's not. It's alterity. Mm-hmm. So I had to actually look at that because I knew I was wrong. And then I think his later one that really works with his um, his dying, which is very interesting, is if in later years and. It, he's listed as Ronald E. Moore, so as opposed to Ron Moore, just so you know. Okay. Thank you, Thea. This has been a Texas Poets podcast featuring Thea Temple discussing poems by Jack Myers. Texas Poets podcast is the creation of Terry Jude Miller and is produced by Ann McCready at Inspiratory.com with creative support from Texas Poet Laureate Carla K. Morton. The music for this show was performed by Ed and Mim Freita. Additional support is provided by Texas Christian University. Our website is texaspoetspodcast.com. We welcome donations. The address for contributions is on our website. I'm your host, Stephen Soros. Join us each month for a new podcast in the Texas Poets Podcast series to learn more about the poets of Texas. Texas.